Okay, I'm going to tell you about Satan and the three temptations. This is another Jewish midrash. It's a Jewish legend. Satan was very much opposed to the binding of Isaac. And he did all that he could to prevent Abraham from successfully bringing Isaac up to Moriah as a sacrifice. As one might expect, his primary efforts were concentrated in three temptations. First, he disguised himself as a wise old man and challenged Abraham. Remember from the movie Noah, we kind of got to see how God spoke to the forefathers, the patriarchs. So God didn't so, wash my tongue this morning, can't do a thing with it. Uh, God spoke to Abraham and said, in visions, in pictures, you're supposed to, and just think of all the flashing images, Isaac, altar, knife, blood. You don't see it, but you'd see all these things. He's got to put this together. God, do you want me to sacrifice my son? And then doors are opened. Things are confirmed. Kind of the way we pray and we kind of get a confirmation, sort of hear from the Lord that, okay, I think this is where I'm supposed to go. Think of it like that. It was kind of cryptic, sort of. Can you imagine that conversation with your wife, Sarah? Sweetheart, do you trust me? Yeah, why are you asking me that? You're starting to freak me out. I think that God told me that I'm supposed to kill our son. Okay, after he revived Sarah because she had passed out. And she said, what? I can imagine her getting violent, her getting angry, hitting him, get out of here. I don't, same with, remember Noah? Same thing. What? Are you kidding me? This is our son. What do you mean? I, I know it sounds crazy. Oh, sounds crazy. You are nuts. It doesn't sound crazy. You are crazy. You're not going to lay a hand on my son over my dead body. Will you take our son? Mom, stop. I want to go with dad. And she just, her heart just breaks. I mean, can you imagine? This is the Bible coming to life. This is not, and then uh, Abraham said to Sarah, I'm going to take Isaac. And, and Sarah said, oh, okay, that sounds good. She didn't think that sounded good. It was horrible. Besides, who is this God? Is he some bloodthirsty God? I thought we're not supposed to give our kids to the Lord. But remember, there's no Torah at this time. This is pre-Torah. This is pre-laws. This is people that did what they thought to be right in their heart. Because there was this sense of right and wrong. And Abraham was a righteous person. Oh, So as we unpack this, you guys are going to go, wait a minute, this, there's more to this. Yeah. So after you convince Sarah or forcibly just do so, then um, you can imagine Abraham had doubts. Jeez, what if I'm not supposed to kill my son? Like, this is sort of crazy. I'm on a road with two servants, some donkeys, and my son, my 36-year-old beautiful boy, and I, and I got to kill him? This is so weird. So Satan disguises himself as a wise old man and challenges Abraham. Surely you've misunderstood or misinterpreted God's command, warning Abraham that the barbaric act that he was about to commit would have drastic and horrible consequences. That would be probably one of the most insidious things Satan could do is to get inside Abraham's head and say, what if you're wrong? You misunderstood. God doesn't want you to kill your children. God loves life. What you're about to do, stop, quit, go away. 
I, I have to do this. If you do this, you know what I mean? It'd, be, it'd just be awful. That's the Jewish legend. Guess what? Abraham refuses to be dissuaded. Get away. Satan tries again, except this time he disguises himself as a young man and approaches Isaac. Do you know what your crazy father intends to do to you? Be gone. Get away from me. Do you understand what your dad is going to do? He's lost his mind. He's going to kill you. What? You don't want to get married? You don't want to have any kids? Stop. Isaac refuses to be dissuaded. So Satan says, mm, twice foiled. He tries a different tactic. For his third temptation, he disguises himself as a wide and deep river blocking the path to Moriah. Well, if I can't get to father, I can't get to son, I'll just make sure they can't get there. Abraham and company began to cross the river, but the farther they went, the deeper they sank. Finally, halfway through, the water reached their necks and they panicked. Then Abraham declared, I know this place on which there was no brook nor water. Surely this is Satan doing all this to us to draw us aside this day from the command of God. Abraham then rebukes Satan. Abraham rebukes Satan. <laughs> He's in the water. You knock it off, Satan. And then suddenly, all the water disappears. They're back on the desert road and Mariah's in front of them. That's the legend. I'm not making this up, Okay to make it sound good to fit the other part I'm going to tell you. Frightened at Abraham's rebuke, Satan vanishes and the place becomes dry ground. Now, fingerprints of this legend can be seen in the Gospels. How many times was Jesus tempted? Three, Three main ones that we know of. Of course, we have to imagine over 40 days and 40 nights with no food or water, which has to be a miraculous sustaining. He was tempted more than that. But they are concentrated into three main ones, right? Okay. Matthew 16. Circumstances are similar to those of Abraham and his son. Both parties, by the way, Jesus and Abraham have set their faces and they are on their way to, Abraham didn't call it Jerusalem. He called it Moriah. Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem. And all of his disciples were with him. I'm going to die. Okay. Now, both are determined to finish the mission in order to fulfill the will of God and the purpose of God. Both are challenged by the voice of reason, actually Satan. And in both stories, Satan has committed himself to preventing the sacrifice from happening. And in both stories, there is a strong rebuke and a response. Listen, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, Yerushalayim and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me for you're not setting your things on the mind. Uh, you're setting your mind on the things of God. Scholars have wondered for centuries why Jesus called Peter Satan. There may be a good reason. Because Jesus had this midrash in his head about Abraham and Isaac. And Jesus knew he was playing Isaac. And God was playing Abraham. And on his way, he would be stopped and told, don't, and don't. And Peter gets out and says, this will never happen. Do not do this. And he tells him, get behind me. He rebukes him and then he calls him Satan.
just like Abraham does to the river. Now, when Jesus says, get behind me, what is he saying? Don't think, well, he, he was in front of him, so he told him to get behind. Who's behind the rabbi? Where was Peter now? In front of the rabbi. I think Jesus says, are you the teacher or are you a rabbi? Are you a teacher or are you a disciple? Well, I'm, get behind me. Be a disciple. Let me be the teacher. And Peter says, yes, sir. It's kind of powerful, you know. Why call him Satan? Well, he was satanic, no? Satan was speaking through Peter. I think Jesus recognized, Peter, you're playing a role and it's not the one you want to play. And Peter says, what are you talking about? He says, Abraham, Yitzchak, Mount Moriah, Midrash. Peter says, me and my big mouth. You want to get behind me, Satan? It could have even been like that. Hey, Satan, you want to get behind me? Rabbi, you know I didn't, I know. Let's go. It could have been like that. I don't know. It, it didn't have to be, get behind me, Satan. You know, and Peter, okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's just weird. But when you put the Jewishness back into it, it's like Jesus is being Jewish. Hey, Satan. Yeah? You want to get behind me? <laughs> okay, Rabbi, I know. Hey, leave me alone. You know, I was just saying. I don't think Peter made light of it. I don't think Jesus did either, but it is a pretty interesting fingerprint of that midrash. Okay, guys. On the third day, two more and then we're done. The fact that the Torah bothers to mention the events of the Akedah occurred on the third day, by the way, is significant. Listen to this. Uh, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son, Isaac. He took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they both of them went together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. Um, where is it? Oh, sorry. Verse four, I, I read past it. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place of the sacrifice from afar. Okay. Anybody ever hear of any other third day connections? What else happened on a third day? Okay, Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. On the third day, the fish blip, blip, <laughs> vomits him out. Hosea says, after two days, he will revive us. <gasps> and on the third day, he will raise us up. Now that's weird. That's in Hosea. There's a lot of third day connections in scripture. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac. The picture is inescapable. Isaac working his way up to Mount Moriah, bent under the burden of the wood for the fire. On his own back, he carries the very thing that will cause his death. It's almost as if the Torah is shouting at us, Isaac is like Jesus. Can you see it? You know, it's like, yes, I get it. Okay. Even the authors of the Midrash could not escape the obvious comparison. And here's what they said. It's so funny. The more the Jews try to disbelieve in Jesus because they've been blinded, the more they get close to him. Listen to this. The Midrash Rabbah, totally Jewish, does not accept Jesus, says as a matter of fact, it was like one who carried on his own shoulder the stake upon which he is to be executed. That's how Isaac carried the wood. <laughs> you mean kind of like Jesus did? Well, we don't believe in that, but yes, uh, yes, exactly like that. It's like, it's frustrating, okay? So um, when commenting on the Akedah of Isaac in Genesis 22, guys, the writer of Hebrews, 
as in Hebrews, James, right? Hebrews. The writer of the book of Hebrews makes a really strange comment. And I bet you've never seen it. I never did. He alludes to a figure of speech. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And I promise you, you're going to want to write this in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 11. Oh, there it is. Sorry, verse 17. Chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 17 and following. Listen to this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, the dead, he did receive him back in a figure of speech. Now you tell me you understand what that means. Wait, you're saying Abraham went to offer up Isaac. He believed that God would be able to, I guess, even raise Isaac from the dead because remember he received him back from the dead in the figure of speech. You know what the word figure of speech is in Greek, in Hebrews? Parabole. What does that sound like? Parabole. Parabola or Jesus told parable. The word parable is translated as parable in every other passage except this one. I'm sure there's other places, but this one, they have the same word, parabole, which they translate as parable in the gospels, but here it's figure of speech. Now, I have a problem with that because I think there's bias. I think there's bias against the Jews. There's a lot of support for that, that our Bibles were translated with a bias against the Jews. We didn't want to recognize Midrash. Midrash is Jewish. It's not even in scripture. It's stuff the Jews made up. Guys, do you know what the word for Midrash is in Greek? Parabole. That's how you say Midrash in Greek. Parable. A Midrash is a parable. A parable is a Midrash. Here's what the Hebrew writer, I think, intended. He's writing to Messianic Jews. Hebrews is written to Messianic Jews. Here's what he said. By faith, Abraham was tested. Yes, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act, remember, of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which in the Midrash, he did receive him back, remember? Yes, you don't, because you don't know what the Midrash is. Let me tell you the Midrash. The Midrash is... According to the Midrashic version of the Akedah, Isaac dies on the altar. So what? Isaac died on the altar. As soon as Abraham's knife reached Isaac's neck, his soul left his body. Even if for a short instant, Isaac died. This is the Midrash. When the angel of the Lord called out to Abraham saying, stop! Isaac's soul was returned to him. And even though it is a Midrash, a parable, Here's what Rabbi Judah says. He's an old, famous, famous, famous rabbi. When the sword touched Isaac's throat, his soul flew clean out of him. And when he let his voice be heard from between the cherubim, the cherubs, 
Do not lay a hand on the lad. The lad's soul was returned to his body. Then his father unbound him. Isaac rose, knowing that in this way, the dead would come back to life in the future. Whereupon he began to recite, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who resurrects the dead. Now, because the Jewish tradition and the rabbinic writing treat Isaac as if he actually died on the altar, Isaac became the first and most prominent symbol for resurrection among the Jewish people. Do you know why they pray over and recite the story of Genesis 22 every single day of the year? Because they believe in the resurrection. And who is their resurrected one? Isaac is. And God said, you want to know what? I'm going to make Isaac exactly like Jesus. Oh, it's incredible. It's brilliant on God's part. So, um, again, we see Yeshua, Jesus, the sacrificed son who rises from the dead, even within the traditional Jewish telling of the story. We have a motto here at Midland Christian. It's Midland Christian, where education is always second to whatever else happens to be going on right now this week. Just kidding. That was... I'll have to edit that out of the recording. Okay, here's the last one. And this one is a cool one to end on. I called it afterwards. Back to Genesis 22. Y'all, I want to teach you how to start reading the Bible in such a way that you start to interact with it, ask it questions, write down stuff, scribble on it. Mm, Okay. Here it is. Genesis 22, verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram. Stop, stop, stop. The rabbi said, that is so weird. How could Abraham be ready to kill Isaac? And he stopped and he lifted up his eyes and he looked behind him and saw a ram. Oh, there's a ram. So he said, that. Besides, the word doesn't even mean behind. In Hebrew, it says, And behold, he lifted up his eyes, and afterward, he saw a ram. Afterwards? What do you mean afterwards? After he killed Isaac? No, before he killed Isaac. But afterward. And they didn't know what to do with it. It's a grammatical construction that's just weird. And I think God went, okay. (laughs) You guys stumped, and they're like, totally. He goes, good. Get busy. Start digging. So they're like, okay, um, uh, what does it mean that Abraham's ram was behind Abraham? As most translations of the Bible deal with this confusing structure, they say, uh, he lifted up his eyes and he saw behind him. He just turned around. He said, but it doesn't work that way. Another author suggests that it was after the preceding events that Abraham saw the ram. That doesn't work either. Still another opinion has it that Abraham saw the acharet yamim, the last days. Literally the afterward days. So they said, Madrash time. Woo! Okay, weird text. Let's come up with a story. He was about to kill Isaac. Stop, Isaac, don't do it. Oh, okay. He, behold, he lifted up his eyes and had a vision of the latter days. Okay? He had a vision of the latter days. Now, Jesus says something really weird in John eight fifty six. Remember, they say, who are you and who gave you this authority? And Jesus says, you know what? Your father, Abraham, he rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. 
Guys, that's a Midrashic reference right there. Wait, what do you mean Abraham saw your day? You're telling me Abraham saw you in, in this time right now, you, Jesus? That's exactly what I'm saying, Jesus said. They knew exactly where he was going. You're saying you're the ram that was caught in a thicket of thorns by his head? You're the ram, you're the male sheep, you're the male lamb of God that was caught in the thorns by his head? And Jesus says, yeah, that's me. Lamb of God, crown of thorns around his head. Jesus says, yeah, that's me. And they say, oh, come on. When did Abraham see Jesus' day? Guys, Genesis twenty-two fourteen. What does he name the place? The Lord will provide. provide. <clears throat> that smoothed out Hebrew. You know what it says? The Lord will see. The Lord will see as in to it. The Lord will see to it. To what? To the ram. Caught in the thicket of thorns. By his head. Lord will see to that. The Lord will provide that, by the way. So Abraham said, came out of the vision and said, oh God, you mean, is that going to be the substitute sacrifice for my son? Of course, God's not talking to him, but he says, mm-hmm. You mean you're going to provide a ram that will be crowned in thorns and unable to get out of this sacrifice for my kid, for my people, for my descendants? And God says, mm-hmm. And God said to Abraham, stop. Remember as Abraham, stop. Do you know what he says? Do you remember what he says to him? Now I know that you love me because you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. That's what Abraham, God says to Abraham. If it's true that Abraham looked up and had a vision of God's son being the sacrifice for all humanity, isn't it beautiful that Abraham was able to say back to God in God's own words, now I know that you love me because you haven't withheld your son, your only son from me. And God said, touche. Isn't it cool? Both of them. Uh, anyways, I just think it's interesting that that ram was caught in a thicket of thorns around its head of all the images, pictures that God could have given us. All right, that's Genesis 22. That's the binding of Isaac. Uh, wow, right? I mean, crazy, cool, awesome. Thank you, Jewish people. Thank you for your midrashes. And God respects a midrash. He puts one in Hebrews eleven seventeen. by the way. So uh, that's one of the three that I want to share with you. We'll get to the others another day. All right, we're done early today. 